it'll be recording, but um, we won't make it a big public ordeal. But don't let that hinder you from participating in questions and talking. So we land on this book, the last book of the Bible, Revelation. And so before we get started with, with the book itself, I thought it we'll see how long it takes us to just get ourselves ready to uh, talk about the book, read the book. And I say that, I say that because the idea is that this book has always been difficult to read and understand throughout the history of the church. So we should not presume that because of wherever we think we are in time, we're going to understand it better today. Um, so, you know, going back to the 3rd and 4th century, so that's 300 years after Jesus. There's a church historian named Eusebius. He writes one of the more well-known church history accounts, just relates church history in general. And what's interesting about his account is he kind of describes what are the books that people are kind of okay with that are in the Bible. Because it took some time before their canon of the Bible was formally recognized and closed, meaning established okay, these are our books, and we're not going to talk about them anymore. It took quite a while. I mean, all the books that we do have were always in play, but there was also lots of other books that people thought could be considered part of divine scripture. And by the time you get to the 4th century, the question about what revelation should be was still up in the air. There were still lots of people that felt uncomfortable with the book, in part because it felt so confusing. And that's just a sign that for the first hundreds of years, it wasn't as if the church had a clear idea as to what to make of the book. For sure, John did when he wrote it, and maybe his uh, first few people who read it, they had a better sense of what he wanted to communicate, but it wasn't as if there is like, oh, the further in time you go, people thought the same, more the same. It was more homogenous, the thinking. That's really not the case. And so that, that alone gives us pause to think, okay, maybe we shouldn't presume too much about what we think or what conclusions we come to. And then uh, even all the way a thousand years later to the Reformation, for Martin Luther, this was still a big question. The book of Second Peter, the book of Revelation, these are books that he was uh, still had a hard time wrestling with. John Calvin talks a lot about this. Is, this book is just, I want to avoid it. I'm not even going to write a commentary on it. It's just difficult. So it's, um, it's a hard book. And so... That just gives us some fair warning to just tread lightly, you know, uh, with the book itself. But that doesn't mean we can't get anything out of it. You won't learn anything out of it. So I wanted to start just by us talking about things that will help us come to the book and feel like we're getting something out of it and not just reaching for things that we want to get out of it. Did that make sense? There's a difference between we're looking for specific things and we're trying to find it in the book as opposed to I'm going to let the book just kind of, I'm going to learn from it kind of go go with it. Those are two very different ways of us reading the book. So I'll have something to say about that um, in a bit. But I also wanted to say that means we should talk as much as possible. We're going to have lots of questions. We're going to have lots of ideas. We're going to have different things that we've either heard or we think about the book. And so it would be good to just throw them out there into the conversation and we'll get some confusion out of it. But the end goal that I'm going to have is not going to be for us to arrive at one specific conclusion about what does this all mean. We'll have some ideas for sure. I'll, I'll, propose, I'll propose at least something for us to think about. 
but I wanted us to feel more confident in knowing what's in the what's in the book of Revelation. So, oh, I think the book is about this. I, well, I'd like you to feel comfortable saying, yeah, in this chapter, I know what I know where the book the Bible. Revelation talks about this subject, this chapter. I'd like you to have in your head, yeah, in the beginning the book is like this, and then this happens in the book, and there's like a halfway point, and then there's an end point. I'd like you to feel comfortable with the very content of the book. So knowing chapter layouts. That to me is more interesting for us to be able to have better conversations later than anything else. So that's a little bit different than just, this is what this means, this is what this means, this is talking about this, and you know... This president was named here in this chapter. Like, we're going to avoid getting so specific. And I want to learn more. Okay, do we know what, what the chapters are about? Do we remember uh, where, where do the letters fit into the book of Revelation? Think of it that way. You know, John wrote a, the whole book is a letter. And so John has a beginning. He's got a middle. And he's got an end. And can we think in those terms when we think of Revelation? Instead of just vi- unique visions that were scattered throughout the book. Does that make sense what I'm saying? I'd really like to hammer that idea home. Because sometimes it's very easy to read it as if it's a vision of different future events, which maybe they are or not. Uh, But we isolate them instead of think about what came before and what came after. So there's a, for example, there's a vision in chapter 12 of a big pregnant woman in the sky. It's Mary or some other woman. 12 stars are kind of surrounding her. And my question is not so much... What, what do we make of her? Who is she? Who is she supposed to represent? She represents either Mary or Israel because Jesus is birthed out of her. But the question is, what came right before that? And what is going to follow it? Where are we in the letter as a whole? Those would be questions I'd like us to feel good answering better as we go through Revelation together instead of, well, who do you think she is? And who does she represent? And what does that mean for us today? Those would be questions we can get to down the line. But more importantly, it will be, do we remember everything that's in the book? And how does that contribute to us understanding it better? Like, here's another one. Like, there's a part there where it talks about 144,000 people. My question is going to be, do you remember where in the book that is? What came after it? What came right before it? Those are some things that we don't think about. We just think of the isolated facts that we attach to maybe recent events or future events. But we get lost as to what the revelation is saying with them. So there's about... 144,000 have a seal on their foreheads, but we don't remember where in the book that is exactly, or where that is in the larger letter of John. And I think it's very fun to think in those terms instead, because it helps us organize better um, our thoughts and also limit us from getting too speculative, too too much of the maybes and the ifs, and we have, um, we'll ground ourselves in that. So that's kind of what I wanted to say as a, as a beginning. That's how we're going to approach it. Any, any kind of question about that? What does that mean? That doesn't mean, or just want? Do you have a clear expectation for what will, how we'll go about things, and what we'll read, and so forth? Very similar to what we did, how we approached Isaiah. If that is any. If that's helpful in any way. Are you are you saying here then that that uh, John was speculating? If that's the right word, I'm not sure it is. No, I'm, I'm just thinking how we are, how we are going to read it. Um, we're going to presume maybe that we have a lot of homework to do and not jump too quickly to, uh, to attaching it to, to today. So um, 144,000, we can take that as an example. The main goal is not to figure out who is this talking about right now, who did it talk about, who is it going to talk about, 
the first goal of ours is going to be, how does this fit into the letter that John writes, the whole letter from beginning to end, from chapter 1 to chapter 22? What, what role does it play? Who is it talking about in the letter? Before we get to who it, who it might translate to here, if we take too much time to speculate about the connection to today, I, th- I think we get lost. I think it's more confusing that way. And it turns the book more subjective to us. We want to make it mean something either for our day. So every this is another lesson of history. Almost every generation has come to it thinking, there's at least a group in every generation, I should say, that obsesses about whether they are the generation the book is talking about. And then that's all they see in the book. They're only looking for the book to tell them that they are right at the end and this is it. And so that, that is a pattern that's happened for 2,000 years. And so my thought is maybe that's not the best approach for us to do because that's always the temptation. We are it. These are talking about the days that we are living in. Even like a thousand years ago, people thought it applied to them? Yes, especially, especially close to the church split east and west, especially with the Pope. Every generation has found a way to view themselves as fitting into the narrative of the book. Mm. And the conversations today, well, and well, I want to get a little bit to this today, the conversations today in the last 70 years, especially since the 1980s, have been, we are the last generation. Because uh, they, they tried that in the 40s, and then as it got later, they were realizing, okay, maybe we weren't the exact last generation. There's even a whole group that had identified the 144,000 uh, 50, 70 years ago, actually in the, 19, in the teens. And then that, that didn't work out so well, and so they've kind of changed how they view that. So this has just been the way we've done things. And so I'm going to suggest that we don't start with that. Maybe we, someone here will find that they want to end at that point, but uh, I, it doesn't seem like uh, it's working, put it that way. And it seems like we all are going to have justification to say, well, we're the closest we've ever been to it, and you're, that's right. Every, every 10 minutes we can say that. We're closer to the events of Jesus returning than we were 10 minutes ago. But if this had meaning for someone in the first century, it wasn't that. right? The primary meaning wasn't, you are the last generation, so therefore do this. Because that, w- that, uh, that wouldn't have worked for them because it wasn't true. They weren't the last generation. So I don't think the ultimate meaning of the book hinges on whether we are in the book, in the last group that's going to see these things take place. Does that make sense? We might be. We might very well be. It does, except for the fact that verse 1 says soon. Now, whether soon and does it apply to us or did it apply to them or is it coming? That's that's a great, that's a great point. Can I just say, like, when I, this will be my second time to be crawling through Revelation. I don't think you can picture reading um, Revelation any different than crawling through it because there's so much but if we take our eyes off of one huge big truth um, we get stuck in what you're talking about and that is that God is not encased in time he's not he's outside of time and John was given this incredible incredible opportunity that I don't know if Paul had it too because he kind of alludes to it but John was given it so that he could share it forward with other people being in the presence of not time being in the presence of God he was outside of time and being outside of time I had this when I first studied Revelation um, 
my daughter was in a cheerleading competition at a school that had on its wall every school year, every little portrait of a person that was compiled together to make the image of the school campus. But each year it was by different people. So you were seeing the same picture, but slightly different because you had a different population there. And it, it so happened that I was beginning my study of Revelation when I stood in that hallway looking at it, and the Lord kind of illuminated to me that here was John seeing these different things all outside of time, and we're so stuck in time. Everything about us is compiled in the framework of time that we're having this like almost Alice in Wonderland, stepping through the glass experience. And I feel like we need to keep that as the platform that we're reading it by, because otherwise we get stuck in the misconceptions of trying to put things into specific time increments. Whereas that was the same school picture all the way through, but it was gonna be slightly different because it was a different population. I don't know if I'm being clear, but I feel like that's the platform that we need to come and open up the book with, with a readiness to see things that are beyond what our limit of scope has ever experienced before. Okay, that that's valid, Pam. So that, that's good, and that is definitely one way for us to read it, and it's not the way many people read it today, too. So there are competing voices, right, to challenge us to read things one way, read things differently, and one way would be for us to read it not binding it to a specific time or trying to find fit it into something. So that yeah, and not that it didn't happen. These things. I love how Revelation actually begins. It literally begins with saying that that God was and is and is to come. So it invites you into that's what you're about to experience. Things that were, things that are, and things that are yet to come. Yeah, so we, we, we were going to try to do that. I want to try to even before that suggestion even go to why do people put it in other categories help us think through because there are good reasons why people do what they do right there are good reasons why people read the way that they did i don't want to just say everything is wrong and we're going to do the right way there it, it's difficult right so even your suggestion could be that that's a valid way to read it and then i think there are other good ways to read it too and they are contradictory to each other one thing we don't want to do Claude, is take like what you said, the very first few verses where it says twice, these things must soon take place. It says must. It doesn't say they might. It says they actually, they, they must. That's, what, uh, that's the very first verse. Show his servants the things that must soon take place. So in some way, we also don't want to deny what's clearly there. Whatever John is saying in this book, he was, it was communicated to him that it was something urgent and prescient uh, to him. So we want to find a way to be just to what we're saying without denying it and then not getting stuck in ways that force us into either paranoia or obsession um, or don't make the same mistakes of history. So there's a lot there and there's a lot for us to talk about before we get to the book. That, that's kind of what I meant. It would take us some time to think through these things and to say your thoughts out loud is helpful. So we all have a, hear different ideas we might not have heard before. And so I'm going to... 
I guess maybe stretch us a little bit in that regard, forcing us to maybe go even slower than crawling and maybe looking at things from a bigger picture at, at times. And then um, I can't, what we're not going to do, so here's another thing I want to say, what we're not going to do is go through the book and go through, this is how this view views it, this is how this view views it. This, we're going to do a bunch of different things. That, that to me throughout our time together can be very taxing and we only have like, Look, we're almost at 9.30, so it, it, we would not have a lot of fun. Not that that's the goal, but we would not have an enjoyable time in the morning if all we were doing is going through. Here are the four or five different viewpoints of this passage, of this chapter. You know, you pick which one you want. I don't want to do that. That'll be a waste of our time. So for the majority of the time, I'm going to have to propose to you my attempt at reading the book. And so that's only going to be one major perspective. And at times we can think about what you might have heard. But I want to, before we even get there, I do want to explain why have certain people thought certain ways? Where does it come from? Because those things are actually very helpful. Because you might have ideas about the book that you don't even know where they come from. You just, because of where we're living in time and in geography, we have certain ideas that are more popular to us today here where we live in our time frame that you, it might be good for you to know, oh, okay, that's why I've read books about this and seen movies about it. But I haven't had that from the other perspectives at all. And what about history? What have people thought throughout history? So I'd like to do some of that for us, for you to feel like, oh, okay. And then tell you, like, this is where I'm situated. And that's how we're going to, that's how you're going to hear about the book. But my main focus is going to be learning the content of it, regardless of whether we um, agree on what it means. Let me give you an example. There's, um, you, you know the scene where Jesus is like a lamb slain in the book? And he comes, up, he comes to the throne like a lamb. This is all wet because I was spraying it. We're familiar with that, right? Is that at the end of Revelation? If I were to put up 1 to 22, just like I did with Isaiah, where would Jesus as the slain lamb be in, in the 1 to 22? 4 5. All right, it's chapters 4 and 5. And 6. Yeah, it begins that, that whole thing. So, And what's significant about that is that, I'm going to put 4 and 5, though, just because 6 really starts us off with the seals. Uh, what's significant about that is that that is the hinge of the book where everything else starts unfolding, right? So most of the book comes in these three threes, the three seals, the three trumpets, and the three bowls. And the visions all fit inside of wherever we are with that kind of picture. But those things are set off by, by this moment in the book of Revelation. So if you just remember this, if you start remembering this, like four and five is the lamb vision, and it ends here, right? And we have the letters right here. This is already like a huge success, if you can remember that. That the letters of Revelation start the book. It's important. We'll learn why that's important. And then there's a vision of the Lamb opening up some seals. And so I'm more interested in thinking about, oh, that's really neat. So is it significant that Jesus is the one kind of giving the start to all the things that are described under seals, trumpets, and bowls? And there's letters before it. Like that's what I'm interested in talking about. How does that affect the meaning of those things, as opposed to, uh, I, who, when did this happen in history? Has this already started? Because that's pretty big, right? If we're talking about time, if this is describing something that happened really near the time of John, then these things began two thousand years ago. Does that make sense? If we're talking about something that has already started. If the Lamb up before heaven has begun unpacking the seals, then whatever the seals contain, which contain the rest of the vision, those things began 
whether they end it or not is a different question. But that's significant, isn't it? If we, if we make out chapters 4 and 5 to be something that's describing a past thing, that changes a lot what happens for the rest of the book, quite significantly. So th- those are interesting things. What we do with certain big parts of the book have a, a pretty big impact. And that's what I would like us to be aware of when we're talking about things. So taking one thing, one part of the book here, some vision about whatever, some beast doing something, and we say, oh, that's in reference to this. That sounds a lot like what just happened in Iran, or Saddam Hussein, or whoever. That has big ramifications for what we're saying about all the parts of the book. Do you, do you understand that? So that's what I'd want us to know really well. Oh, okay, well, that part is in this part of the book, and what's before it is this, and what's after it is that. And so you can't just make whatever little part you want it to mean. It, it's, it's a unity. And so it takes us some time to think through the implication of any one thing we might say about the book. Okay, um, yeah, so let's talk a little bit about the, the history of what people have thought about the book, and this is, a, this is a good time for us to start thinking about what we've heard, but what we know. So what I will do to help us with that is put a timeline, you know, there we have Jesus 2,000 years ago, and we've had all this history, but we'll just put us, we'll put us here. This is definitely a picture of Dennis. It just looks like because you're just happy, Dennis. You're always welcoming Good. and ready for a hug. Yeah, Stephanie. So you were talking about people um, in history. Uh, we went to see Ephrata Cloister, which is you know it's an effort that's not that far away, and um, so we they used to stay, they used to go to bed and then wake up because they thought the Lord was coming back again, and it's like oh boy, like from two to three every morning or. Uh, either way, it was the middle of the night, and it's like, oh, whoa. Um, they thought that, and I was kind of shocked about that, that they thought the Lord was coming every mm-hmm. single night, and they would wait for him, and then they'd go back to bed and sleep. So Yeah, there was, was almost a fear of missing it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like beyond... There was a very strong movement in the early, near the Puritan movement time frame, you know, 16, 1700s, that some of this really took off. And there were other reasons why this started taking off, but there are people having visions and claiming to know when exactly things were happening. This is actually a very interesting time in history. So if I could put a, we're here. So I guess the 1700s we'll, we'll put here. This makes us an awful scale. But um, what's interesting about where we stand, Stephanie, in light of what you're saying, is that near, you know, right after the Reformation, lots of things started happening. Lots of different uh, differences of opinion. Just thinking historically, can you, could you think as to why maybe so much new stuff started transpiring after the Reformation happened? Well, the Bible was... Think, yeah, think about that. Up to this, you know, fourth, third century, up to this point, you had very few people actually reading the Bible except for trained people who knew Latin, Greek, uh, the church languages for that matter. So they were passing on to people. And that was a very hierarchical thing for a long, 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 long time. One of the big things about the Reformation was getting the Bible into people's hands, translating the Bible into daily language. And so you had more people reading the Bible now and having their own thoughts and ideas as opposed to just sitting and listening to somebody talk and to tell them what to believe and to think without 
any reason or, or anything. So there's a, there's a sociological reason why after the 1500s we have such diversity of ideas and thoughts and movements that weren't as prevalent before. And so some people started having these visions and claiming to have heard and known Jesus is coming at this date. So there's even in New England, there's lots of stories of the Puritans sometimes going with their bags to mountaintops. And this night, and there were prophecies of when Jesus was coming, and they would go, they would sit there, and they would wait. There was a huge era that this was very popular in the 1700s. Sorry, their bags that they packed? They would take stuff with them. Yeah. yeah. They, it, why they thought that, but they, they would come ready to go. And so they were very much ready for that. And one thing that that led to is after that failed so many times, is to start thinking differently. Is it possible that Jesus is going to come back in stages? And that for one group, it'll be like, like this, and then for another group, it'll be more public and visible. And so this set up a viewpoint that is very common today, which we have, it's very possible that you, you hold to this, you just don't know that yet. That when people begin to think there are actually two different times that Jesus is coming. He's going to come once for his people, and it's going to be in the middle of the night, and no one's going to know about it. We're going to get sucked out of here, out of nowhere, before you can even like say what. You'll be up. And then later, Jesus will come back for the rest of the world, and it will be a different kind of return. That, that, that idea was birthed during this time period of people having these very strong expectations of, of leaving and, and doing this stuff, and then it not working out. So that, that's just an interesting fact about, about history. So that, we are here, that's that. Um, when we think about Revelation then, one thing that I'm going to tell you that I think is true is that what, what we presume about what happens here, what happened 2,000 years ago, will largely determine what we think is left to happen here, or what we're still waiting for. So we might have some differences. Most likely we have some differences even here in this room about what, what's happening next. What's the next thing that's happening? And that, and that sometimes that's what drives us to read Revelation. We're looking for Revelation to tell, us, to tell us what's the next big thing, right? That's usually how this works. So there's going to be a, um, an importance for us to figure out how much does this affect what we are expecting to happen here. So let's just start by talking a little bit. What are we, what are we expecting to happen next? What is the next big event that we're hoping is coming or that's going to happen. And, it, and we can just shoot all kinds of stuff out there. What, you can shoot your own thought or what you hear other people saying. You have something there, Claude, that you're... This, there isn't a right or wrong here. Remember, we're going to... I'm just thinking we're, we're really not even going to know it because if my understanding of it is in the twinkling of an eye, now, to me, when I blink, that's it. But I don't know when that's going to happen. I can read Revelations every day through and through and through and through. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to tell me what day. It's just the fact that I better be back at that cross in the blood of Jesus Christ and Him crucified so that I have myself ready for whatever day that is. And if it doesn't come in my lifetime, I'm going to be buried with everybody else. But my spirit is gone. That's how I feel about it. Okay, and that and that is the next thing that you are expecting coming is our one way or the other. Okay, so that 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 is a very common 
very common idea that there is a, we call this, um, am I spelling this? An imminent, the imminent return. The imminent return of Jesus, that it can happen in any moment. And it's going to, usually when we believe that, we believe it's going to, that's the time when we get transferred to be with him forever. And the Bible does describe that that transfer happens really fast. <clears throat> it just makes me chuckle in the sense that my parents had the same idea about it. They're long gone. And now I do too. What, we'll, how about we, we'll talk a little bit about this one today, but, uh, Anybody else with another, what is your, what are you looking for as the next thing that's coming? Um, Wars, one world government, um, the gospel going to every... Are you saying time. that before this, this, uh, before our, I put return here, but our gathering to him, being caught up together with him in the clouds, you're saying before that happens, you, you are expecting wars... I, I'm not expecting. Okay. I'm just listing things that I've heard. Other people mentioned that before this coming, or they are saying those are signs that this is actually coming. I think it's all muddled and people don't really think about yeah. the order. The wars are already happening. Yeah. It sure yeah, seems like it. There's a person, Matthew, that says the gospel is going to go to every nation before he returns. Yeah. I don't know what that means. Okay. And there's going to be famines and, and wars and and earthquakes. We have all of those. Yeah, yeah and we've, but, always, um, we've always had them, yeah. Yeah. But we know about them instantly now. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it seems like a lot more for sure. Mm -hmm. But in terms of what happens next, is the idea that that has to happen first before Jesus comes back, or that those things are signs that he will come back and then those things will happen? Do you, do you understand the difference of the question I'm asking? No, I think those things are happening now because we'd be really stupid not to recognize that those things are happening now. I mean, there's there's like mega storms that, yes, you're right, Dennis, we have television and we can see things, but um, chronologically, like with history that's been recorded, there's like um, geography or um, the environment even is groaning with greater pangs than historically have happened. And people will say it's because of the ozone layer, it's because of different things like that. Um, I, I just feel like the signs of the earth returning to dust itself <laughs> is, is kind of happening. Um, I, I don't know why, but I, I think the taking of the gospel to all nations um, that always perplexes me because um, even in our own country, there was a time when our own country was a Christian country. Now, you can go to many different locations in our country where people don't have a clue who Jesus is, have not heard, even in our own like communities. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, that everyone used to be a follower of Jesus? No, I, well, it was accepted. Christianity was widespread known. Now, the halls of North Penn have Islamic and Muslim posters around. There's an actual room in the high school that is designated as their temple prayer. There is not for Christianity. 
that's right in our that's right across the street from us. Mm -hmm. And that that perplexes me. Uh, that's looking from God's point of view. Um, do, do you guys ever wonder who is the last person who's going to make a decision for Christ, and he's going to say that twinkling of an eye and an applaud? That sometimes actually is a wonderment to me of, is that child born yet? Mm. Is that child born? Who is the last person that he's going to say, I've gathered them all in? Because if he's actually coming, if he is actually coming, and it's going to cease to be, you're either for me or you're against me, you know, now I've gathered all my people in, there is one human person who's going to be the last person to be received in. And I feel like then what that does inside of me is an accountability to not just be keeping myself grounded in Christ, but sharing him around me. Mm -hmm. Because will I be the person who shares with the last person? Like, does that make sense? Like, I, I don't know, yeah. that, puts like, that puts a whole different... Um, that gets into persecution is another thing. We talk about persecution and suffering and will that be before Christ returns or after Christ returns, but you're asking about things you expect to happen next, will there be I don't think we're experiencing persecution here the way mm -hmm. people around the world are receiving yeah, so just, just well, this is magnetic uh, but just, just from asking that question for us, like what is supposed to be happening next we have hesitation, right, to say what exactly we think, we have some we have some thoughts here that we've expressed but a lot of it is just confusion. We're confused quite a bit. We're not entirely sure. And the Bible does say Jesus is coming back physically, visibly. That's what we are affirming for absolute certainty. But there's a lot of confusion as to what surrounds that, what comes before that, what are signs that he's coming. What does the Bible even actually say about what precedes his arrival? We actually missed. Paul actually says two things have to take place before the arrival of the Son, uh, not the Son of Man, but the arrival of Jesus. Do we recollect Paul, him, Paul saying that? He's like, he even writes to the Thessalonians, I need to let you know something unless you think that this day is actually already here because there's a couple of things that have to happen before that even day even comes because some of them weren't, weren't working. They were just kind of being lazy bodies and kind of presuming that there's only a couple of weeks left or something of that nature. Paul's like, no. We didn't tell you guys that, but there are a lot of people saying that. This is the end. This is the end. We're really close. We're really close. And he says there are some things that must happen before that day comes. So we've, I want to think through some things before we get to Revelation, because if we start off confused, we're just going to get further down that same rabbit trail if we start Revelation, because we will start looking for that same way that we are kind well, what of... What about the rebuilding of the temple? That would be another big thing. Is that, is that relevant or is it not relevant to what Revelation describes? Uh, that would be a huge one. What are, we, what are we assuming? And why would it be, like, I don't know, I still get confused with the temple curtain was torn from the top down. Who sewed it back up again? <laughs> yeah, that, that, is a, that is a conundrum. So for us to, we're not going to finish this today, obviously. Let's, let's do a few more minutes. Um, this is the kind of work that we have to do before we get started in the book, or else you're going to have so many things swirling in your mind about, well, what about this? Uh, is this? What does this relate to this? So we have to start with, where do we get some of the ideas that we do have today? So one, uh, one of the most common ideas that we have in our part of the world that you are going to be most exposed to, I'm, I'm almost positive of it, 
is a view in which when Jesus comes and he preaches the gospel, him and John the Baptist, and they're telling the Israelites to repent, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, is that what they were doing was, was telling the Israelites the time of all the promises that God has made to you throughout history is now. And so if you turn to him and believe and follow in me, Jesus is saying, then you're going to experience it. And so he was obviously rejected by the Jews, was he not? So the, there's an idea today that started right around this time frame, right, 1700s, that stipulated that when Jesus came to make his message and to share the gospel, when it was rejected, there was a big pause, a pause button on God's promises. And he had to stop because the people didn't accept him as the Messiah or the king, so he couldn't enact all of those promises that he had made to Israel. Therefore, this gets put on pause, and it goes all the way to the future. So that's almost like a, it's frozen. And then when he starts here, in this period, until he comes back, he decides to do this other project called the church. And it's a group of people that follow him, but they are, it's a hardcore line right here. This, this group of people is not the same as this group of people. Their future lies in the future, still to us. But for the moment, God started this other project. He started dating and married another woman because his first wife was Israel, didn't like him. So she, he's like, I'm going to wait here for a deal with you, but I'm going to go marry this other woman called the church, the bride of Christ. And we're going to have a relationship for a period of time. It's called the church age. Are you familiar with that term, the church age? And so what, in this viewpoint, the idea is that it could end at any moment. And it's, uh, it's called the, um, the bride of Christ will get caught up with him. And then when that's over, there are a series of things that will happen for God to go back to dealing with this group of people. And in this viewpoint... Uh, when things start happening in the Middle East, people start speculating, maybe God is getting ready to start dealing with them again. And so when they formed into a nation in 1948, that's when this thing became the most popular thing in our part of the world. And since we were very much involved in that process as a country, and we held a very, that was a very common viewpoint at the time, that heightened everything. That became, that became it. And so... Where we are living and in the time we're living affects greatly how we, how we view things. And so this, this perspective was birthed really in the, 19, uh, in the 18th century, so the 1700s. And it really didn't become popular until after the, the Second World War. And so that, that really solidified this view, this whole perspective that when Jesus came, they rejected him, so therefore God rejects them for now. And then he turns his attention to this new group of people called the church, and then when he's done, whenever we're done what we're supposed to be doing, he will take us out of the planet into his, it, to be with him, and then he will return dealing with this group of people. And um, we don't have time today, but I would like to, I would like to explain then further what, what, they, what the perspective is of what's going to happen next. Because as I fill this in, I hope for you to start going, oh, okay, I've heard of that. I've heard of that. And that all fits into this, this view of, of, of things. Because there is a second way to view this that is significantly different of that. And it does affect what ends up happening here because of uh, a different way of viewing this moment right here. 
Can you see how that would be different if all of a sudden uh, I propose that instead of starting with a new people group, God just continued his plan. And whatever he was going to do to Israel, he actually starts doing here at the cross. That drastically affects what we are hoping or expecting for in the future. Does that make sense? I just want you to grasp the idea. Those are two different things. So I, I know today felt more technical of things, but those are things that bef before we get to Revelation, we have to have in our minds. Or else, if you're expecting to think of things like this, and that Revelation is primarily talking about this, you see what happens? You, you have this to deal with, and that's what you're looking for in Revelation. However, if, I pro I'm going to propose that this is how we read it. If, if Revelation begins talking about what Jesus did, and who he is, and what it means for him to have done what he does, it's very possible that Revelation is talking about everything, from what, what happened before, to the, what, what is happening, to what is going to happen. It, it opens up the book quite a bit for us, and it makes better sense of the first verse, Claude. These things are going to take place. I'm talking about things that, that are taking place, that I'm seeing these things. And that would really make me, uh, it really makes me feel better too, because it makes sense for the first people getting it, right? If I'm thinking of Revelation as primarily talking about things that haven't happened for us, it almost has no relevance to someone living in the first century or two. It, it's just like, well, this can't have anything to do with us because we have to wait till the church age is done. Right? And that, that is very popular today. The book of Revelation is about future things, and so what they do is they say, well, these things are going to happen. Now, what we see today are setting us up for those things that happen. And so they, we start promoting, like, a, heighten our expectations for things to begin happening. But really, we're just hoping to get out of here real soon. That, that's what that does. So there's a very different way for us to read the book. And we'll get into the, sec the second kind of way next time, because our time has expired for this morning. Um, but I really think it offers us more about who Jesus is, what the cross means. There's going to be a lot of that in this book. The very, the very title, Revelation of Jesus, means a revelation about Jesus. This is a book about what Jesus, who he is, what he did, what he's going to do. But that's the focus of the book, is who is Jesus? Not just what is the, what is the future lie, what's going to happen to the world. It's our focus is going to be on who does the book teach us Jesus is and what he did and what it means for us. All right, folks. Thank you very much.